All right, take your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter number 4. Proverbs chapter number 4, we're going to begin here uh, looking this morning at the first seven verses. And many of you uh, know Proverbs well enough that you kind of get the idea of what we're going to be talking about this morning. I've been covering the uh, Brother Don Sunday School class the last two weeks. And so in Sunday school... Uh, we've been looking at the five types of fools that you find in the scripture. We kind of, we read along and we see, okay, there's fools. There are actually multiple types. One builds upon another. It starts with just somebody who's simple and new and unlearned. Uh, and then it escalates all the way to somebody that's committed, that's trying to destroy uh, what God is trying to do. Uh, and so I think if you've sat through that for the last two weeks, it's been kind of heavy, especially today. It was just a bombardment of all of these terrible things that, uh, that infiltrate our lives and that can define us. Uh, this is kind of the other side of that coin. And so uh, as we begin here in Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to start in verse number 1. And Solomon is writing, reflecting on <clears throat> the instruction that he has from his father, uh, David. And he says, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of, thy, of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, wisdom and understanding, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. I'm going to speak this morning on that thought, just simply the principal thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the time that we have. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd illuminate your word to our minds and our hearts and that you'd help us to embrace it. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so as we look here this morning, we're going to look at, at the concept of really, um, you know, as, as foolishness is multi-layered, wisdom and understanding, understanding what we're talking about here has to be looked at in that light. And so we're going to, that's kind of the approach we're going to take this morning. Solomon is conveying to his, to his son what his father had conveyed to him. He is laying out here and he's trying to help him to see the importance. Now, you know, if this particular son is Rehoboam, he obviously missed the message. Uh, and so, but he, it wasn't for Solomon's effort to at least teach him, though he didn't, you know, he had his own failures and breakdowns in his life. Uh, but he's laying out here what he's taught. And so he's giving him Doctrine. So what are we talking about when he talks about here, I give you good doctrine in verse number two. Doctrine is simply uh, a word that we use to define teaching. So I'm, I'm giving you good teaching. I'm giving you sound principles to live by, to make decisions by, to govern your life by. And it's not that uh, his, he is saying to his son, I want to manipulate and control your life. I'm just simply trying to give you the tools to help you to make wise decisions, to live a life that will matter, to live a life that will be pleasing to God. What we see here is this. When he, when he makes statements like he does in verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding, he's telling us here, this is something that you have to go and get. It doesn't just happen. Foolishness just happens. Sin just happens. That's our nature. We do, we do the wrong thing by nature. That's what's natural to us. Uh, what feels right culturally, you can pretty much rest assured that it's going to be contrary to God's character and God's person and what God's law has set forth. And the end result of following that way is destruction and depravity uh, and, and decay. It is a life of heartache and ruin. You may, have, you may amass the wealth of the world, uh, but have a miserable existence in your life because uh, it's void of understanding. It's lacking in wisdom. And so uh, we have to understand, get. We have to allow that to be taught to us. In other words, I have to open my heart. He says here in verse number four, he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words. Allow yourself to get the message. 
He's saying, listen, we've all had a conversation with someone where we tried to help them. And you can tell from the moment that you begin to speak just because of who you are or the relationship that you have with that person or that person has with the position that you hold, that their eyes glass over or roll in the back of their head like a shark latching onto its prey uh, and they just shut down because they're not going to hear it from you. Uh, and so that, that's a natural response. So what he's saying to his son is let yourself hear what I'm trying to tell you. Allow yourself to open your heart and open your mind to the truths of God's word so that it can guide your life and guide you down the path that God has for you. So he's giving good doctrine or teaching. He says, retain my words, obey these truths. It's not, he's not saying to him, okay, son, you know, you're 40 years old now, obey me. He's not saying to his daughter, well, you're 50 now, obey me. That, that's not the message here. He didn't say obey me. He says obey these truths. Obey the principles. Principles are timeless. They're not, they're not faddish. They don't change with the wind. They don't come and go with the culture. They are, they are timeless truths that will guide our uh, lives. And he's saying to him, retain my words. Obey the truths. Why? Because if you do, they'll guide you and they'll protect you. And so every, every parent wants to teach their children principles that are going to guide them and help them to make wise decisions when they launch out on their own and have to make them for their protection. Well, I'm a grown whatever, I can protect myself and I can, it's not protection from robbery or attack or being taken advantage of by a person so much as it is protection from the system that is set out to destroy everything that's valuable to God. Uh, and that will undermine that in my life. And so we're going to take a little bit of time this morning, just kind of introductory to kind of build this and get to what we're talking about here. But so understanding here now, he's saying, hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend unto knowledge and understanding and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. And so he's laying out here a proverb. So what is a proverb? And we, we hear like sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll use it and, and, you know, a proverb of this culture or that culture uh, doesn't necessarily, a proverb isn't necessarily scriptural uh, or is, isn't necessarily scripture unless it's from the book of Proverbs in the, in the word of God. <coughs> so what is a proverb generally? It is a short sentence expressing in a few words, a well-known truth. And so it just makes, it takes a truth that maybe is broad in scope and it condenses it to just a statement. So that we can wrap our minds around it and we can take it with us. And so the book of Proverbs is a collection of Proverbs, largely Proverbs that were uh, in these condensations of wisdom that were, were written and articulated by, by Solomon, who is, uh, biblically speaking, the Bible tells us, the wisest man. God gave him wisdom like no other. Uh, and so aside from the Lord Jesus Christ, there was no one had the wisdom uh, and was given the wisdom of Solomon. And so... Solomon here is just laying out some, some proverbs or some wisdom. In verse number five, he talks about this father's command. What's the command? Get wisdom, get understanding. So what is he telling us to get? Wisdom can be defined this way. And I'm just going to give very brief. And these, they, all of these things have a lot, much broader and much more in-depth definitions. I don't want to get too bogged down in that this morning. I'm just going to give kind of a basic idea of what we're talking about here. So what is it? that I am to get. Wisdom is the right or the correct use or exercise of knowledge. Wisdom is not, knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge is, any, but we're supposed to get knowledge. So he, he says here, get wisdom, get knowledge, get understanding. Understanding synonymous with, with knowledge here. What are we talking about? Knowledge is just the acquisition of information. Everyone here can acquire information. We can all gain knowledge and we can all gain some understanding to use that knowledge to a degree. But that doesn't automatically mean that we have wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take the knowledge that we learn and to use it, to master it, and to find its value. And so it is the right or the correct use or exercise of knowledge. Understanding, again, is just comprehending or apprehending the ideas or the sense of another. Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. So for the Christian, 
our, we should be coming to the understanding of the mind of Christ. That's our, that's our goal is to become like Christ, to become Christ-like. And, and I really, probably, I hesitate to say it in that fashion because then we tend to think, well, I can just force this on myself. I can discipline myself to become this. It's really not that. That's, that doesn't last long. And it bears with a lot of resentment. It's not conforming. It's allowing myself to open my heart to the Lord so that the Holy Spirit can work within me so that he transforms my heart. It's not about conformity. Church has been equated with religion. Uh, and those of you that have been around have heard me say many times the, the, the thing that religion does best is condemn people to hell. Uh, because it's not about dot and I's and cross and T's. It's about, do I have a relationship with the one that gave himself for me, died for my sin and will forgive it? And then will live within me and will transform me into the image of Christ. So do I want to be like Christ? Yes. It's not a bad thing for me intellectually to say, I want to be like Christ and then to begin to take steps. But real change isn't going to happen because I did that. Real change happens whenever I open my heart to the Lord and the Holy Spirit transforms me from the inside out and changes the way that I view things and I see things and I value things. It causes me to understand and to see the value in attaining to God's wisdom as opposed to living by man's wisdom. And we're going to look at the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom this morning so that we have an understanding of what Solomon is trying to give us here. And so understanding, comprehending or apprehending, understand to apprehend, to take under control. If a police officer apprehends you, he is taking you under control. You, you don't have any ability uh, by the time you're cuffed and you are restrained uh, to, to do much to fight back. You are apprehended. Okay, so we are to, in this instance, apprehend wisdom, knowledge, understanding. We're to take the ideas that are contrary to our own, the ideas of Christ, the mind of Christ, and we are to apprehend it. We are to learn it and we are to live it and to have it overtake us to such a degree that it becomes second nature. That we act uh, and we respond in a way that pleases the Lord rather than a way that pleases our flesh and our culture and the world around us. And so apprehending, to seize or to take control of. In verse 5 he also says, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Neither decline. Understand what he's talking about here. Again, I, 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 I don't, I'm not born, we're not born with wisdom, knowledge. A brand new baby doesn't know how to do anything but eat and cry and spit up and do all the other nasty things that babies do. That's all they do. And that and sleep. They don't know how to do anything else. They have to be taught. Children have to be taught. They have to be trained. They have to be, uh, every good thing has to be learned. Uh, every bad thing comes naturally. And so it's, it's easy to see that in children. I remember our, our granddaughters, Jules in Brooklyn, their birthday is today. And so sisters born on the same day, one turns six, one turns four. Uh, and I remember whenever Jules was born and started to get to be about seven or eight, or seven or eight, nine, seven, yeah, that, about eight or nine months old somewhere in that range, uh, and she started getting to the point to kind of express herself and resist, and, uh, and, and discipline had to start to be enacted, uh, and, and then she got to walking and kind of getting around better, and, uh, and I remember her parents coming, our son and daughter-in-law, and saying, man, the sin nature is strong, <laughs> and she is pretty strong-willed, uh, and so the sin nature is strong in all of us. Uh, our spiritual nature can decline. My sin nature is only going to decline if I suppress it. But at the moment that I stop suppressing it, it begins to make a resurgence. Uh, and so he says, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Don't decline. To decline means to sink or to diminish or leaning away from. If I don't stay focused on my relationship with God, then I'm going to drift away from him in my relationship. If you don't stay in focused and engaged in a relationship with your spouse, you will drift away from one another. If you don't stay engaged in your relationships with other family members or friends, the natural response to that is to drift apart, uh, to drift away from one another. The relationship will decline. It's, it's kind of foolish to not think that our relationship with God would be any different. 
And so if I don't maintain, and if I don't stay on top of it, it's going to decline. What Proverbs is saying here, what Solomon is writing is, neither decline. Hear my words. Let yourself learn. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not allow yourself to decline from them. Be investing in them, working in them. Then in verse 6, uh, it says, Forsake her, wisdom, not, and she, wisdom, shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. What's he stating here? He's saying, she will, wisdom will preserve you and will keep you. What does that mean? Preserve means to keep or to save from injury or destruction. Uh, it doesn't mean that life will always be easy, but it does mean that God will give me some guidance to navigate difficult situations. It means to save from decay. And to uh, defend from corruption. So you can make endless applications here from everything from, uh, you know, painting iron so that it doesn't rust and decay to preservers that they put in, uh, in foods at buffets and other restaurants and things like that. It is to prevent decay. What does wisdom do in our life? It preserves us. It helps to prevent that decay. To keep, to preserve or to retain. And so we understand here, again, about wisdom. It is the proper use of knowledge. And he says here, it's the principal thing. Of everything else that he could have said, he doesn't say love is a principal thing. He, he doesn't, he, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, with all your energy, get wisdom. Why? Wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If I get wisdom, I will love the Lord. If I get wisdom, I'll live in a way that pleases him. So what type of wisdom am I going to live my life by? And we're going to kind of, kind of examine that this morning. Uh, if you would hold your place here, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, and we're going to look at uh, the first eight verses here as we move into the main part of the message this morning. Uh, and we're going to look at types of wisdom. And so we have to understand we're talking about wisdom because we'll come in and we'll hear this. Yeah, wisdom is great. And we'll embrace the wisdom of, uh, of, of uh, a counter God wisdom and say, hey, pastor, I got wisdom. So what wisdom is it that we're to get and what types of wisdom are out there? And this is by no means a, an exhaustive list. It's really pretty condensed. But 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 uh, and uh, in verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So right away, Paul is here, is addressing as he deals with his church and all of its error that he has to correct. And he's making a contrast. He's essentially saying to them, I'm not coming in with a lot of flowery words. We're just going to get to the truth. And the truth is, is that you are practicing your faith according to the wisdom of man rather than the knowledge of God. And so you're allowing your tendency to drift into, uh, into your own carnality and your flesh to make spiritual decisions. You're making spiritual decisions in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And so, uh, and so he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of us, none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. And so he's making the contrast. There's the wisdom of man, the wisdom of princes. It's all kind of lumped in here together. Uh, the, the wisdom of the world, per se, the wisdom of men, versus the wisdom of God. Had they understood, he says, the wisdom of God, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. They would not have done what they did. They would have made a different decision. They would have lived a different way. They would have had different values. They would have exercised different principles. But because they exercised the wisdom of men, they drew all the wrong conclusions and ultimately they crucified the God of glory. 
And so what is the wisdom of men? And so when we talk about man's wisdom, it can be condensed essentially to this, humanism. When you look at secular humanism, we used to hear that term in preaching a lot. You don't hear it as much every day. It's so interwoven counterculturally into society uh, and, and culturally into society that it's just a, a part of everything that we do. Uh, but what is, it? what is it? What does it mean? What is its goal? And so what is the wisdom of man? It stems from a statement from the 5th century philosopher Protag Protagoras who said this, that man is the measure of all things. So it is the idea and the concept and begins with the idea and the concept, not that God is all things, but that man is all things. That man is central, that man is, is man central to what God has accomplished and created the earth. Yes, he created us for his fellowship. But the distortion of that is that man is God. That man is, uh, is, uh, is all that matters. And so man is the measure of all things. The second thought that I would say about about man's wisdom is this, it has been presented as being that, that the solution of all of man's problems then is education. That if man is central, then the world philosophy comes in and says, now the, the, the answer to all of your problems is education. Now I'm not against education. Education can be a good thing. We have to be educated, learn how to read, learn how to write, learn how to study the Word of God. Uh, you know, there are a lot of great innovative things that have come out of uh, education. But if the idea that education is a solution to every problem is a problem. You know, if the idea that education is a solution to providing light or providing uh, vehicles or a way to train, th that's great. But when education becomes the, so the solution to what's wrong with man's morality and his soul, then that is counter to the Bible and to God and his person. And so the solution of man's problems is education. What does that allow? That allows a system of indoctrination to where uh, young children today, it's amazing, and, and the corruption that they're being taught. It's amazing uh, the immorality that they're being exposed to even at kindergarten and first grade levels. If, if, I were to, if I were to bring into this auditorium on a Sunday morning and put on the screen what your children are exposed to in the public education system in kindergarten, first and second grade, I would be voted out of this church as your pastor. How could you dare put such indecency and such ridiculous things up there? Don't believe it? Go hang out. It's amazing how, watch the news. They don't want parents in the classroom. When all of, the, all of the shutdowns happened, they tried to figure out ways that uh, whenever they live streamed their classes that the parents couldn't get involved in it. They didn't want the parents to see what was being taught. Listen, if you don't want me to know what you're teaching my child, I don't want you teaching my child. And as a church, if I come in, if a parent came in, even if I know that they're going to uh, not agree and maybe pull their child out of church and we're just trying to give them the gospel and they, uh, they have a problem, they say, Pastor, what are you teaching my child? I'm going to tell them what we're teaching. Here's the Bible. Here's what it says. Here's what we're teaching. We actually uh, had some, some problems, some, mor some morality problems within, uh, this is probably about seven or eight years ago, but some morality problems that weren't, were, be, were coming to fruition or at least sprouting uh, with it, the ideas that were going on in some of the kids' hearts uh, uh, several years ago. <coughs> and so a youth pastor got up and he taught a series of lessons on biblical purity and morality. And we had a family leave the church because, uh, because their children were offended by being taught what the Bible said about biblical purity. And so if somebody comes in and says, Pastor, what are you teaching here? I'm just going to tell them. You just speak the truth and people are going to do and make the decisions that they make. But I'm not going to dare say to a parent, you don't have a right to know what we're teaching your kid. But the education system seems to think that they have that right. Uh, and so we're talking about here the wisdom of men. Why is that? Because they want to indoctrinate them to have the values that they want them to have. So pastor, well, you're just indoctrinating children at the church. Yes, you're right. Exactly. We're taking the word of God and we're trying to teach the doctrine of the Bible to our children so that they understand thus saith the Lord. But we're honest about it. I'm not trying to teach them something against God. And so it is the wisdom of man uh, that, that education is a solution to every problem. The third thing about man's wisdom is this. It is, the, it is stated that they believe that it is the key, to, the key to successful living is getting more. If you want to be prosperous, if you want to be held in high esteem, if you uh, want to be or feel successful, get more. 
Uh, people have wasted entire lifetimes in pursuit of more and died with nothing relationally. Because their focus was all on the wrong things. Now, I'm not, you know, if God blesses you with abundance and wealth, praise God for it. Use it for his glory. But that's not the pursuit of man, nor or shouldn't be. John Dewey wrote the Humanist Manifesto in 1933. And in case you missed that name, John Dewey of the Dewey Decimal System, John Dewey, considered to be a great American educator in the early 1900s, was a board member of the American Humanist Society and wrote the Humanist Manifesto, if I'm not mistaken, in 1933 and published it. In 1973, the Humanist Manifesto 2 was published, uh, and in it, it is asserted that no deity will save us, we must save ourselves. And that's the mindset of man's wisdom. No deity will save us, we must save ourselves. Listen to what's going on in the world around you. You hear this articulated on a very regular basis. You, if you believe what we believe this morning, then we are quickly painted as, uh, as radical, crazy religious zealots or whatever and we're just trying to follow the character and the nature and the person of God as he laid out in his word and we'll be uh, we'll be moral and <coughs> have joy and peace that the world will never have as a result we see this make itself and it come about in society uh, as it did as uh, through the ages. So when we're in medieval times and we begin to come out of that in the Renaissance, you can even uh, here in Houston, I think there's a Renaissance fair every year and you can go and you can see everybody dressed up like in medieval times and eat those kinds of foods and see demonstrations of jousting and all of that kind of thing. So that, that period of time. During that Renaissance or Renaissance meaning reawakening, what took place was this, that science and art were renewed and because of that, many began to lean away from and go away from, from biblical truth. The world would define it as religion, but I kind of reject categorically religion because I, I, I just, it's, it's, it's about relationship with Christ. And so we look and we understand here, and again, I'm not against science and art. I'm just saying that whenever this awakening came about, many were drifting from God. And it was the catalyst to drive them from him. World Book Encyclopedia says this of that period of the Renaissance. They made man rather than God the center of interest. Not my words, Encyclopedia Britannica's words. They made man rather than God the center of interest. Listen, it's all, it's all good to, to learn and to grow, but God should be the center. Amen. God should be exalted. God is that defining force. And so we then follow that up with a period of enlightenment. And in that period of enlightenment, John Dewey, again, American educator, board member of the American Humanist Society said, there is no God and there is no soul. Listen, the world wants us to believe there's no God and no soul. Why? Because if there is no God, I am not beholden to obey his law. And if there is no soul, I can just go out and live up life and do whatever I want and enjoy the flesh until I use it up and it's wasted and I can't function anymore and I end up uh, dying and rotting in misery, uh, generally probably alone because no one at that point will be able to stand me. Just go because there's no soul. If there's no soul and when this life ends, that's the end of existence and there's nothing, then what does it matter? What difference does it make? And so the world wants, and man's wisdom wants us to believe that there is no soul and that there is no God. Therefore, man can be his own God and do as he pleases. Then we see after that, we come uh, that according to the Humanist Magazine, <coughs> that states that, and I quote here, Darwin's discovery of the principle of evolution sounded the death knell of religious and moral values. It removed the ground from under the feet of traditional religion. And so if you go and look up online, humanism and the humanists, and they have their own website, it's, it's amazing and it is, it's kind of breathtaking in all the wrong ways how bold and what they put and how vile what they put out is. It's not for the weak of heart. But it is to undermine biblical principle. It's their goal. This is the wisdom of man. 
So in Proverbs, and Solomon writes and says, get wisdom, he's not talking about man's wisdom. And Paul makes it abundantly clear when he comes to the church at Corinth with all of its problems and all of their moral issues. And he says to them, stop following the wisdom of man. Stop listening to the philosophers. And start listening to the Spirit of God. And make decisions accordingly. This is the wisdom of man. It's accepted by society. It's taught in schools from the earliest ages. And it's, and it's preached as the gospel at colleges and universities. And they've not gotten better over the years. Then there's God's wisdom. And so when we look at God's wisdom, we can say this, number one, it is the proper and central focus of life. The wisdom of God is the proper and central focus of life. Life has no real meaning apart from it. In Colossians chapter number one, in verses 16 through 18, uh, the Bible says, Therefore by him were all things created that are in heaven and are, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Without God, we would spin off into space. Without God's laws, there would be no gravity. Without the law of God, the universe couldn't, could, couldn't exist or stay intact. And so uh, it is the wisdom of God. It is the proper and central focus of life. Secondly, the solutions of all of man's problems are found somewhere between Genesis 1-1 and Revelation 22-21. There's an answer for everything that we face. So, Pastor, how in the world could the Bible tell us about things that weren't even invented? It gives us principles. What is Solomon saying back in Proverbs chapter 4? Get wisdom, get understanding, forsake them not. He's not, intentionally, he's not laying out all the specifics of their age and of their day. Because the Word of God is a book that's filled with principles that will help us, that will help govern our lives. I am to go to the Lord. I'm to walk by faith and not by sight. I am to be led and surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God to lead me and to guide me so He can reveal to me the deeper things of Scripture. He can guide my steps through life. The Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and we could go on and on and on and on and on. The bottom line is simply this. That God gave me his word not to address everything that man creates specifically, but to give me a system of principles by which to live and govern my life. That through a relationship with him and his guidance and direction as he's a part of my life, he can help me make wise decisions to navigate the world in which I live, whatever age it's in. We don't need a new Bible every six months like the world thinks we need. We have one. And the one that we're used here has been used and blessed by God for over 400 years. Not interested in changing that. I'm interested in teaching that. I'm interested in embracing the principles and the truths that God's word has given us. And, and, and going back to what God gave from uh, the beginning. That's the wisdom of God. <coughs> the key, thirdly, to successful living is focusing, focusing upon God in every area of life. And submitting to his word. It's a matter of submission. That's our problem. We don't want to submit to anyone. We just want to do what we want to do. And we don't want anyone or anything to tell us that it's, that it's wrong. And that it's displeasing. Or that we'll have to pay a price for it at some point. Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If I want to succeed in life and the things that really matter, then I'll follow the Lord. That's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is not a matter of, hey, God's going to tell you everything to do, and as you understand it, you do it. The wisdom of God is, I'm God you're my creation, trust me. You know, we, we, <clears throat> we're a better society whenever we followed instruction because we trusted authority 
I understand we live in a time when there's a lot of authority that's not trustworthy. And I'm not advocating foolishly, blindly following poor leaders. I, I am saying that whenever I understand my relationship with God and who he is, the one entity in society, in the universe, that I can blindly follow and trust is God. Amen. Trust him. God doesn't have to explain himself to me. You know, whenever my children were small and they would come in and, the, and I would tell them to do something and they're like three or four years old and, and they're like, you know how kids get when they get to be about that age, it's like every other word out of their mouth is why. Well, you need to take some time to explain why, but there are also a lot of things that they ask why that they are not yet mature enough and intellectually capable of understanding or comprehending. So I'm going to waste time trying to explain how some complicated uh, mechanical thing works to a three-year-old. They can't comprehend it. There'll come a time when they'll comprehend it and they can be taught. But for now, they just need to trust. Listen, God is under no obligation to tell us why. But we are under every obligation to trust him and to obey him. And so when we do that, and it's a matter of trust, that's, that is God's wisdom. God's wisdom, I love you, I created you, I have a plan for you. Trust me, do what I say. But God, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I do, trust me. He knows. So wisdom. Then we see that there is a test of wisdom. If I'm going to have wisdom, that wisdom has to be tested. And so as we look at the testing of wisdom, just a couple of thoughts here. Uh, and this is really more just some practical application. That there are choices that test our wisdom. Uh, when we, we look at, at uh, uh, you know, familiar verses often, uh, and Psalm 1 is one such passage, uh, whenever we can kind of see this come into play, uh, it says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, and standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. What am I meditating? What am I feeding on? What am I focusing on? Who am I following after? If I, wanna, if I want to have wisdom, then my wisdom is going to be revealed by the choices that I make in life. The Bible says, by our fruits, we shall, you shall know them. I'm known by my fruit. I'm known by my association. I'm known uh, by my value system. So choices test our wisdom. What choices? Well, a, a lot of choices. But education choices, priority choices, lifestyle choices, how we value things, all of those types of things. And I'm just throwing some things out there. Uh, this could get to be a, quite an extensive list. I, I'm just kind of trying to give you a general idea here. But what, what are we talking about? Well, my relationship choices are paramount uh, to how successfully I'll walk with God. Proverbs, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, and verses 14 and 18 uh, make it pretty clear that God cares about who I spend my, uh, my casual social time with. He says in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he with that which believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. What's his point here? His point is the lifestyle that I live matters to God. The values that I have matter to God. We should be governed and guided by his wisdom, not the wisdom of man. Second Peter chapter number 4 in 2 Peter chapter number 4, uh, the Bible tells us, or excuse me, chapter number 2 and verse 4, uh, the Bible tells us, <coughs> For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved into judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a, re a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to it with an overthrow, making them an example or an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with a filthy conversation of the wicked, or lifestyle of the wicked. Conversation biblically here talks about habits of life uh, of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly 
out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment uh, to be punished. And so we see that God is working. He's saying, listen, how you live and what you do matters. It's not going to save me, but it matters. Putting my faith and trust in Christ gives me forgiveness of sin and saves my soul. Uh, my actions, don't they condemn me. I'm already condemned, but they can't save me. I can't do good enough, be good enough. But that's why Jesus came. He died for me. And so the test of wisdom, the choices of our wisdom reveal whether we live by man's wisdom or God's wisdom. I uh, <clears throat> was talking to someone, brother Matthew and Miss Rebecca, they don't know that I know this. But they went, out with, uh, they went out with another young couple in the church. And uh, the young couple were, and I were talking a couple, uh, it was last week sometime. Uh, and they said, yeah, we went out. We had a great time. But he said it was really cool to interact with, uh, with them for this reason. He said it was almost like we were being interviewed. <laughs> they were asking good questions. And, and questions that typically don't come up in this setting because what they were, and, and I told them, I said, yeah, because his school schedule is so heavy and their work, their time's very limited. So they, they want to have, be social and interact, but they, they have to be careful about how they use the time that they have set aside for that. And so what they're trying to determine is, are this young couple here, do they share our values? And, and essentially it was this. Are we, took this, are we going to help them in strengthening their walk with God and their faith or are we going to draw them away from it? And by the way, the young couple, they're not in the room right now, but they, they appreciated that very much. It was a blessing to them because it reaffirmed to them things that they believed in the word of God. That how we interact, who we spend our time with, how we lie, our lifestyle matters. And are the choices that we make reveal the wisdom by which we live? Am I living this morning by the wisdom of God? Or am I living this morning by the wisdom of man? We see not only does it, the choices test our wisdom, but conflict tests our wisdom. I can say I believe this, but do I stand by it whenever conflict arises? It's amazing how we will dogmatically defend something in a position of a belief until it's tested. And if it's tested by the right person at the right time, then our faith will crumble in a heartbeat. Why? Because we intellectually believe it, but we don't practically live it in our daily life. It's challenged. When I live what I believe and a challenge comes, then it's just natural that I just do what I do. And that's the reality. When the test comes, we revert to being who we really are. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. You can say it all kinds of different ways, uh, but that's the, the, the bottom line is that what's in here is going to come out. It's going to come out of my mouth. It's going to come out of my eyes. It's going to come out of my actions. It's going to come out of my value system, what I really and who I really am. That's a pretty scary thought. Because I still have a lot of growing to do. And I don't need the wrong me to come out at the wrong time. And so I, I want to be careful about that. And so the, when wisdom is tested, the world system is always easier to act upon than God's. Why? Because when someone wrongs me, I want to lash out. I'm just like you. I'm not any better. And I, I'm not any, uh, and, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, maybe I've been practicing a little bit longer than some, but many of you have been practicing a lot longer than me. Uh, but whenever somebody lashes out and is hurtful, my first reaction internally is to respond in kind. And usually that means more harshly than they were. That was kind of a defense mechanism growing up. I was isolated. We moved around a lot. If somebody brought the hammer on me, uh, I brought it back tenfold because I didn't want them. I wanted them to leave the situation saying, I'm never going to do that to that guy again. And that wasn't a good response. It wasn't a godly response. I was just a kid at that point. But that, uh, that, the, that's my natural attitude a lot of times. And God has grown me and given me grace not at respond and act out on that attitude a lot. Uh, but, but, you know, if the wrong me is fed and comes out, it's not generally going to be a pretty picture. And I would suspect that you would have to say the same if they were being honest. Why? Because that's who we are. That's our natural state. Conflict will test our wisdom. So we've seen and we've looked just briefly at man's wisdom versus God's wisdom, types of wisdom. 
we've looked at the testing of wisdom and the choices of our wisdom in relationships and who influences us essentially. Those are really what I'm trying to get at, kind of the subpoints there. Who am I allowing to influence me? It's not that I want to go to any one person and say, I'm going to do everything that you say and dot every I and cross every T. That's reserved for God. And I certainly don't expect that from a church body to just try to dot every I and cross every T that I say as a pastor. You walk with God. Everything will be okay. What I'm saying is, is that I'm going to be cautious about who I allow to influence me. And I want to be cautious about how I use my influence in the lives of others. It's wisdom. The wisdom of God. So the test of wisdom. And then lastly this morning, the triumph of wisdom. The triumph of God's wisdom. The triumph of man's wisdom is destruction and death. You want to see what man's wisdom looks like when it comes to fruition? Go, go look under the bridge across from Minute Maid Park at the homeless encampment. You want to see what the fruition of man's wisdom looks like? Look at Ukraine. You want to see the end result of the wisdom of man? Go to the psych unit at the hospital and look at those that have lost their mental faculties. You want to see what the fruition of man's wisdom looks like? Go, to the, go down to, the, uh, to where those that are, that are dying from drug and alcohol abuse, that are suffering close to the liver and lung cancer and things of that nature that are induced because of life habits. That's the fruition of man's wisdom. That's what it leads to. Go to the broken homes. Go to the destruction and you look at all of the, uh, a lot of the, the activist groups today, one of their stated goals and multiple of them is the destruction of the nuclear family. That's just a stated goal. They want to destroy the nuclear family. Nuclear family uh, meaning a husband, a wife, children. God's order. What are they saying? I want to destroy God's order. That's their stated goal. Why? Because it's chaotic. And there are entire subcultures within our greater culture that have been devastated because the men have been removed by drugs and crime. And we've paid the price. So when we talk about the triumph of wisdom, we're not really too interested in the triumph of the world's wisdom, of man's wisdom, because that's death and destruction. That's what we want to be saved from. We want to deal with the triumph of God's wisdom. So this is threefold, and I'm just going to give three quick principles here, and we'll be done this morning. Number one, it's the preservation of faith. The preservation of faith. Proverbs, again, chapter 4. <clears throat> and our text this morning, For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. So what is the triumph of wisdom? It is a preservation of faith. She will keep you. The good doctrine, what you've been imparted, the preservation of faith. What is the next goal of God's wisdom? It is the preservation of family. God wants our families preserved, not destroyed. Sin works its way in and it fractures and destroys families. God's wisdom brings us together. God's values, God's principles bring us together. And at whatever level we begin to fracture from those things, our family units begin to fracture. The triumph of God's wisdom is a preservation of the family. It is the preservation of our faith. And that results in the preservation of the future. Do you want to have, listen, Pastor, God's coming back, so things are going to keep getting worse. I understand that in the great context that things are going to continue to get worse so that the Lord can come back and receive his bride. I get it. But in the smaller context of my family and your family, of our church body, in the meantime, there's a preservation of a future. What's going to preserve the future of Victory Baptist Church? What's going to preserve your family, my family? What's the wisdom of God? 
Train your children by the wisdom of man, and when they get to be your age, they won't be here anymore. Or any church like it. It's hard enough to keep them focused whenever you, when you train them to the principles of God's Word. There's so much pulling them in the wrong direction. There's so much pulling us in the wrong direction at whatever age we are. Will I live by the wisdom of God? Because when I do, it preserves the future. I'm not so concerned about the future of... I mean, as an American, I'm very concerned about our, our country's future. Don't get me wrong. But I am saying this morning that as a Christian, our priority is the preservation of the faith. And God will build His church in anything. I'll tell you what's happened in Ukraine this morning. In the midst of all the heartache, the Lord Jesus Christ is building His church. Amen. People's faith are being strengthened. But they're losing their life and they're suffering. It has a way of strengthening faith. It has a way of taking a people that have been indoctrinated with atheism and causing them to consider the possibility that there's a God that loves them. Because clearly their government doesn't. At least not the greater one. I praise God for a man like, like their president Zelensky. He's very inspiring. I hope and pray daily that God will preserve his life so that those people stay inspired to fight for their belief and, and truth because in it is religious liberty where the gospel can be furthered. But I'm saying this morning that in the midst of that, even in those circumstances, he's building his church. He's growing his people. He's preserving their future. Pastor, their buildings are in ruins. Buildings can be rebuilt. Lives are harder. It's hard to rebuild a fractured life. There are some things that can't be fixed. There are some things that will never be the same. Wisdom is the principal thing. Get it. Isn't it amazing how he said get it? You know what that means? It's available to you. And it's available to me. It's not unattainable. It's not out there somewhere where I can't grasp it. Hey, you say, Pastor, you're going to you go out and make a million. That's, that's out of my realm of possibility, okay? That, that just, I'm not even going to try because I have no, I have no way of seeing or, or, a way or believing that that's even doable. But the principal thing, the most important thing, the most valuable thing, he comes and he just says, get it. God looks down from heaven and said, I'm right here. I love you. Come and get me. Here's some faith. You lack faith? I'll give it to you. It's found in my word. And the more you learn of me, the more faith you'll have. It will awaken in you. I put it there. Let me, let me arouse it from slumber. Get it. You want joy, peace? Get it. Do you want to have the best that God has to offer for you? Get it. It's not unattainable. It's not for someone else. It's for you.